Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 47 of the Fitness Devil Podcast. We have Alex Viata on today. We're going to find out why he sometimes uh, puts up videos of him lifting with a bicycle helmet on, doing deadlifts. Get into what he's personally interested, uh, especially how he's enjoying teaching more recently. We get into, while there's a lot of technical programming and nutrition in our world, uh, how to deal with the human side of dealing with your clients when you're coaching. We look at some of the trends and advances that we think will be important in the near future within our industry. Alex takes on some major cardio myths and kind of busts those up a whole bunch. Uh, we look at how sometimes fitness professionals will often write social media content, maybe for the wrong audience. You can find out more about that if you listen in. And he also talks about how he's into spending more time outside and the value of it. It's something he personally loves to do. And it's a really great episode. Alex was a champ and uh, we really got lucky having him on today. So hopefully you really like this one. Enjoy. Shut up and sit down. Hi guys, welcome to the podcast. Uh, today we've got a guest whose voice is more uh, loud and booming and deep than mine is, so you'll really enjoy Alex Viata. Uh, if you were those few people who lived under a rock, uh, Alex, he's got to flip that fucking rock right over so he can't hide anymore. He's synonymous in the fitness industry with a uh, hybrid of strength and endurance performance, both in his personal stuff and his coaching. And his company, Complete Human Performance, works with athletes of all levels in a variety of sports, Notably, but not limited to Ironmans, ultramarathons, and powerlifting. It's great to have you on, Alex. Thanks for being here. Guys, thanks very much. Really appreciate the invite. You've had some great shows. Just stoked to be talking to you guys. And and he lifts with with helmets on. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't make the cut. <laughs> wow. You know, there's actually a story behind that. Okay, let's start there. Is it a? Is it a? Can you tell it? Yeah, no, it was it was actually and it was actually started out completely innocently, like I was not intending to to make this a thing. It was a it was a Saturday morning and I was scheduled to go out for a bike. And I said, Okay, you know, I'm I'm actually my legs are feeling really good, you know, I'm I'm about to go out. And then I realized for some reason randomly I had forgotten to do like I, I was supposed to reschedule my deadlift workout for Saturday and yeah. ride on Sunday, but here I was ready to ride. And it was Saturday. I was like, you know what? I'll just do both. So I was wearing all my bike gear, helmet included, <laughs> and decided to start deadlifting. And I always, at that point, I always videoed my lifts and everything else. So I realized I videoed myself, and here I was wearing bib shorts, <laughs> a cycling jersey, and a bike helmet because I had just happened to put it on, and somehow caught that on video. And I was like, well, this is this is just perfectly absurd. And lifting videos are so dull anyway, I may as well upload this one and just kind of have a laugh at myself. And that's how it started. That would have been a while ago, too. So it's like, of course, Juju Mafu has to... You're familiar with him, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he has to one-up all that shit by like setting shit on fire and <laughs> the deadlifting yeah. party at their Instagram. I got some friends yeah. who like just... They hate him. One guy in particular just hates him because of the theatrics. But I'm like, no, man, this guy's great. He's jacked as fuck. He's got 80s metal hair. Yeah. And he does all this freaky shit in these videos that I think it's super funny. And I I he don't think it, he, anyone... He did it right at the right time. Totally. Yeah. I never wanted to see that shit. It actually, you were doing it, it was like yeah. fucking weird. It just makes <laughs> people do like really ridiculously corny shit with almost like the people are going to go out and like try it on their own. But if you try to do anything that Juju turns around and does, like you just sign the the waiver right now for like liability and just because like, you you're going to get Juju. His Juju, name Mufu. Is Juju Mufu. Juju Mufu. You know, is it? 
you know what I think people don't get, give the guy credit for either? The guy is doing like standing backflips. Yeah. Like this, I mean, he's, he's seriously, he's strong as hell. You know, he's, he's agile. He can move. I mean, you watch the guy and you're like, wow, this guy's actually really talented. So it's kind of like, you know, you know, hate, hate on what you want, but the guy's just, in a lot of ways, he's a phenomenal athlete. He's incredible. He, he desensitizes that, though, because he does it all the time. You're like, oh, just another one of those. And like you said, yeah, like, it's still a backflip with a spin <laughs> and then a deadlift yeah. right after it. Like, that's. I just, I like the video where he's overhead pressing, a, I think, a plate aside for reps while he's walking in jeans and then walks into the pool, goes underneath and starts pressing it in the water. Just shit like that's great. Yeah, it's fun though. It's like strength of spectacle, which you know, you look at like old timey circus acts and things like that. Like that's what it was. That's fun. It's cool to look at. People enjoy it. I'm like, you know, why not do something with it? You're strong, Jack. Have fun with it. Well, it's kind of funny. We're talking about that, but like, this is even on the thing. But like, you're pretty much doing crazy shit. It's just not cool, or it wasn't back. <laughs> well, what I mean by that is, I guess ultra running and and running in general, I guess, has seen a resurgence. But if you were to say that when you did, it was like, oh, like that's crazy. But it wasn't popular. If that makes sense. But you're doing mm-hmm. that's Jimmy Foo Foo can't run a hundred kilometers. No fucking way. <laughs> actually, actually, that's not true. I bet he actually. Could. He's, would, cra- he's got I the would, crazy gene. I would be shocked if there isn't anything that motherfucker can do. So, he, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we've we've danced around the concurrent training stuff, and if anyone's listening, like a lot, a lot of time, we'll create this fun graphic. And Alex, if you share it, and some of your people will be listening and finding us for the first time. It's already created. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. So people have heard you talk endlessly about hybrid training for strength and conditioning. So what we kind of wanted to do was not really talk too much about that at all. There's so much out there that you've talked about in social media. Uh, We had Josh Citron on here. He actually talked a little bit about that. I know you guys are good friends. We'll we'll provide people with the info to find your website and your Instagram. And like they can find tons of podcasts that you've done if they want to find more of that. So... Let's actually have a little bit more fun with this and let's open up and find out what you've personally been exploring and more interested in of recent, like personally, professionally. Gosh, um, let's see. Personally, well, I mean, even on the athletic side, I think, uh, you know, you you guys actually raised an interesting point and I'm I'm sure I'm going to be talking about another topic, but um, you're talking about the Instagram and how it's kind of gone more from kind of a fitness focus to it's just, it's a lot of outdoors stuff and yeah, Dean, you were saying like, what, what was the, what was the question? Oh, it was like crazy. I don't know. I don't even know. It's just crazy. There's just craziness all over the place. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, my whole thing now is, is taking the whole idea of, you know, fitness and just having fun with it. I mean, the, the whole point of, of starting the whole cardio thing and the whole hybrid concurrent thing was just to feel more well-rounded was just to feel a little bit more human, a little healthier, a little more capable of, of doing stuff. And, you know, kind of what I realized is I had the privilege of traveling for a bunch of seminars over the last years, like traveling overseas, uh, traveling internationally, you know, been lately to, you know, to Hong Kong, to Scotland, um, you know, going to Mexico, this year, just, just a bunch of other places to Australia and realizing that being able to just get outside and experience a place and go off the beaten path and see places in other countries that you've never been before. It's, um, you know, it, it's something that I think kind of this whole fitness thing has brought me that I may not have had before. You know, being able to go to Hong Kong and just leave the city and just go run up one of these mountains back there where you'll find endless waterfalls and a Buddhist monastery and just all these things. And you're going, well, you know what? This is just, this is a totally different level of experience. You know, this is actually adventure. 
And I'm kind of using fitness and training as kind of a vehicle to adventure with, you know, kind of a means to an end, not the end in and of itself. And I think, you know, a couple of years ago, I think I was kind of broken on the idea of competing and I just wasn't having any fun. And going back and trying to find ways to have fun with it, I think has really been a lifesaver. I mean, moving out here to San Diego and just, you know, getting lost on these mountain runs and going out in the, you know, these desert runs and, and things like that. And knowing that I can experience that because of the, the level of fitness that I've built, it's priceless. And I think from personal interest, you know, it, going off and climbing mountains and, you know, doing things like maybe going up Aconcagua later this year, I mean, those are exciting things to me. And it's, it's being able to find adventure and knowing that physically you can handle it and whatever it's going to throw at you. So that's where that's kind of been going. That, go, that goes down to, like, to something that I bring <clears throat> with a lot, a lot of my clients. I deal with, a, not exclusively, but a lot of people who are very brand new to the gym to make mm -hmm. it uh, a comfortable experience so that the way it becomes a, a sustained long-term thing and change your life. But it works when you make the experience really fun for people. Yeah. And I think that for a very long time in our industry, I think the industry got into a little bit of a hardcore message and, oh, it's not supposed to be fun. It's, it's war, brother. <laughs> and it's like, fuck Christ, no. And you send that kind of message to everyday people. And no wonder they're sitting on the couch going, oh, Yeah, fuck, they're I, like I, powerlifting. I it's, it's like the toughest sport in the world. I mean, no, got, it's not. You gotta suffer. Like, what? No. <laughs> so, I, I think Suffering it, is when the air conditioning turns off. I mean, come uh, on. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I was just—I was going to say even even what I was going to go. I was going to go the exact opposite way, and just in terms of like that experience of we'll call it going pretty crazy and like doing the competitions and being at that high level, is that if you don't have that experience, you don't well, you don't get experience and you don't know what the other ends like. But then you get to appreciate the other stuff that much more, hmm. and you have the fitness to do it. So like with me, with powerlifting and strength and doing all this stuff, I figured out what crazy was like, and I don't want to be there again. <laughs> but having had that experience, it makes me. In my realm, it makes me better at coaching and all this other stuff because I know mm -hmm. exactly what it's like to be there. But for yep. you, it, it's the other end. You, you can you can jog longer. You can go to other places. People can't do what you can do, so you can see those things. And you may not have went there if you didn't have those competitions or those goals in mind. You know, and there's there's definitely a lot to that. I, I and I think you know it's it's interesting that you you know the kind of loops back to the conversation we were having even earlier. I think before the recording started with kind of the idea of paying your dues. Yes. And it, it's true, like, you know, competition and, and, and pushing yourself and having kind of a rigor and a level of discipline and, you know, using that, you know, linear, well, maybe not linear, but more linear path to get to the best you can possibly be, you know, that there is such a learning process there. And I, I think once you've hit that upper limit of what you're kind of personally and professionally, whatever else capable of and genetically capable of, then you can afford to back off a little bit because you know what it takes to push yourself to there. You can go there mentally when you need it, if you need it. And, you know, you've kind of really bracketed or bookended what you're capable of. And that kind of lets you enjoy everything on the spectrum a little more. And it lets you relate to people who are at various levels a lot more. Yeah, you almost like, sense. just by pushing the edge, you kind of have more variability. And I guess in your, even your choices, because at this point, you can probably, you probably know. Well, have you, re have you reached the upper end yet? You think? Like, well, at least <laughs> even use distance for an example. I mean, the furthest distance I've gone at this point has been 100K. I still haven't done a 100 miler. And, I, you know, I still haven't done some of these races uh, that, you know, like the, the real legendary ones. Um, you know, there's some out there like Hard Rock and Leadville and all those, which would probably absolutely crush me. So I know there's a lot further I can go. But 100, 100K still gives you a lot of variability of choices, I'd say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shit. Well... 
and you know, I, I did a couple Ironmans too, and you know, that's you get. You, you know, I've been there in the training when you're sitting there staring at the, the Saturday eight hour long training sessions and, you know, you're just, you're not looking forward to it. And there's that speed work, there's that tempo work, there's getting yourself in the pool for like the fifth time that week when you hate it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I think I've reached a, a high enough level there to be able to safely say, okay, I know what it's like to have that kind of level of, of dedication and drive. And not just that, not just doing something once, but doing it enough times where actual improvement is the goal. Not just, okay, I'm going to do this. It doesn't matter how well I do. You know, like your first powerlifting. Yeah, just show up and get a total. But actually having something where you're driving towards it. And every week you're moving forward knowing that your objective is to hit a better number, to progress, or to, you know, to even to hit a goal that you set for yourself that's above and beyond what you thought you were capable of when you started the sport. Well, that leads, like, what is your goal now? Like, I guess in terms of before it was what it was and you kind of built your business, but, like, what's your goal now? Like, what makes you happy <laughs> <laughs> Other than the outdoors. You know, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, professionally, what makes me happy is just teaching. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's kind of the direction that I'm driving my part of the business is towards, you know, kind of teaching and outreach and passing on what I learn. But a lot of that actually stems from, for me, it's just, it's going out and trying to do new things. What makes me happy is going out there and saying, okay, you know, I'm going to go going to go hit this mountain this week, or I'm going to go hit this run that week, and I'm going to try to do something a little more ambitious every time. The long-term goals, you know, I've got a project coming up with a client um, that's going to be going on for 50 days, and I'm probably going to be doing some of these event days with her. Um, so that's going to be a lot of work. So getting through that's the main goal. Um, you know, the secondary goal after that is like a speed ascent of Aconcagua. It's not going to be anything like the records, of course, because those are just entirely too fast. But, you know, just just finding different things where I know I'm going to push myself. I know I'm probably going to turn myself inside out trying to get it. But I want to do that. You want to be and, crazy. Yeah, I, 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 wanted to, I want to actually experience yeah. a challenge that I welcome. Because I think everybody here knows, and I, you know, I, I think Dean talking about it a little bit, probably know that when you finally get to that level and you realize that every time you push yourself and you know you hit a wall and you're you're trying to you, you know you're, you're trying to get through those incredibly tough sessions or that incredibly tough week and you're thinking holy holy crap you get to this point where you just don't want it enough anymore yeah. and that that thing that the thing that kept you going even when everything hurt and you didn't feel like training and everything else that that love for the objective once that's gone you get to that dark place in your head so many times in training that you just can't push through it anymore it's just not there and i think that's when finding a goal finding an objective where you have that kind of inner excitement for it you can hit those dark places and you can keep going because you really want it yeah i, I the way i boiled it down lately was like i'll call it your inner voice but like you kind of know when you know and if yeah. you kind of listen to that a little bit more, I'm going to say unconsciously you're going to get guided to where you need to go. And like basically yeah. all the things when I, every time I fucking ignored that, <laughs> always get hurt. Always. Yeah. Every fucking time. And then I end up just being forced in that dark place mm -hmm. as opposed to, like you said, getting there through the process of, I guess, pushing yourself. Cause you have to get there to get above that, but I'd rather yeah. get there the right way. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it's funny too. It's funny you mentioned that because it's exactly what happened to me. It was, um, it's like two, three years ago, maybe at this point, I signed up for an ultra that I was going to do. And I knew when I started doing it that my heart wasn't in it. Yeah. And I was doing it kind of because I felt like, okay, well, this is the next logical one on the list of, you know, and I hated the training and I was always kind of finding excuses to cut the training a little bit short. You know, I've been out here for enough hours. I'm just, 
So I started the race and 20 something miles in, well, two miles in, I rolled my ankle. 20 miles in, I rolled it even worse. And it was just, it was busted. And normally after training for something for like eight months, the idea of getting knocked out of it so early, like it hurts. Yeah. You know, you think, oh, man, I put so much into this. But, you know, it's funny because as I was hobbling out to the, uh, to the aid station where a truck was picking me up, I felt relieved. Mm. Like, I was just happy to be off that course and to have that over. And like you said, when you know, yeah. you know. I was like, you know what? See ya. I, that's it. That was exactly me with football, too. It was like, yeah, done. Everyone's like, don't you still want to play football? I was like, nope, I'm good. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. what? Uh, this actually is perfect for the next kind of the next point which we wanted to talk about was I guess we'll go into like you technically program for athletes nutrition lifting all the things mm-hmm. but you deal with driven athletes like yourself but at the other end of the spectrum there's a huge psychological element to this what I guess how do you go about dealing with the human side and how the psychology conflicts with the program knowing that the athletes you're dealing with are doing some crazy stuff yeah, that's that's actually one of the toughest things. Um, you know, some of the I, I know the term. You know, finding your why is so overdone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I know that you can you, you can write entire articles about how well, that kind of you know well, almost like yeah about but also about how it's almost like pop psychology at this point. Yeah, and, you know that doesn't always work. That doesn't always pull you through. You know, I think the the advantage of a lot of this concurrent style training is it lets people really explore different things at the same time it lets people it lets people forgive themselves for having a bad day it lets people forgive themselves for being in the wrong mindset to push through one day and be able to find some sort of triumph the next so with our athletes we spend a lot of time pretty much trying to focus on the good when you have you know eight different types of training sessions a week and and people aren't feeling it chances are they're always succeeding and progressing in something and I think focusing and capitalizing on the areas in which they are successful, there's always going to be something. And it can be something intangible. But you know, and I think a lot of that comes back to finding the things that keep driving you, even when things are terrible. And so you know, a lot of it is, I don't want to say it's cheerleading, because it's really not. But it's, it's forcing people to focus on, focus on their progression. It's forcing people to focus on, focus on their wins, focus on their success. And understand and just kind of I don't want to say ignore their failures yeah. but um, that that's that's a part of it honestly uh, because I, I think there's a, a temptation to overanalyze why people fail and you know a lot of times if an athlete has a bad workout or a bad race or anything else they'll go on and on and on coming up with a different reason a dozen different reasons and excuses and this justification and that and it starts all they start to think about is the negative I'm saying, you know what? You just had a bad race. You just had a bad training session. You know, this what you're doing, what you've got coming forward, you know, you're you're worried if you don't do well now that this entire ambitious plan is going to go to hell. But that's not the case. You know, there's just there's too many variables, there's too many intangibles and and the the mindset of analyzing failure in some cases is a huge detriment to athletes in my book. Well, especially cuz you probably get those athletes that, well, they have pretty big goals, so they're going to be those type A's that will probably overanalyze it, and that, that's a, I don't know, that's how I was, and it was really hard to even deal with myself. Yeah, you just you're they they're smart. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, like I said, I got one of these clients working on a working on a, a bigger project, and you know, she'll miss her evening workout. Something comes up, 
you know, and immediately, if, if you don't rein that in, she starts going down the mental cascade of, I'm not going to be able to do this, you know, I missed this workout, is this a really big deal, and da 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 and starts, you know, so, but you have to say no, like, you got some good work done today. Whatever you don't get done today, you'll get done tomorrow. Here have been your successes this week. You've done 85% of this stuff correctly. You know, missing this 15%, a lot of them, because there's this, this desire to go do something so outside their comfort zone, they also do get kind of easily rattled by it. Like you said, type A personality. It's just things aren't going well. And as soon as you start thinking things aren't going well, you go down that kind of negative cascade where anytime there's a small setback, oh, things aren't going well. Yeah. Whereas you, you focus on the, the positive objective, it's like something doesn't go well, you roll right past it. I think this is something that you'll see with people because obviously the sort of question was sort of asked with the more elite athlete in mind, but this pertains to, I think, everybody yeah. where, you know, everyday person whose main goal may be to lose weight. Uh, yeah, they have a bad day. They, they eat poorly or something like that. And these same sort of things apply. One, one day, one bad episode does not undo them. But you have to get on it pretty quickly to make sure yeah. that that person doesn't end up going into a bad mental place or downward spiral. Some yeah. of our listeners, they listen not because they're fitness professionals, but they're just people who enjoy this and they're looking for information to help them through mm-hmm. their quest. And I think it's really, really important to catch those little bad stretches as quickly as you possibly can. One of my guys, and he's a listener to this podcast, he messaged me and you know he, he's hit a little bit of a rough patch and he's done really, really well. So he reached out to me and we had a little chat about it. And I'm going to go back and message him today to just to check in. But yeah, I just don't want him to get caught up in a negative cycle of thinking. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden that builds up and it starts to derail or he fears that it will derail all his progress. It, it's so weird though. It's like, it's like those cliche things. Like it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And like all those things are like super cliche, but there is a little bit, well, there is truth to it, but it's hard to get that across to people when they're, when they're thick in it. Yeah. It's their yeah, goal. <laughs> Well, and that's, and that's the thing. And like that, I kind of see that as my role is to be able to sit back and say, yeah, you know, when you're, when you're out there, when you're, when you're doing your program, all you see is what's in front of you. You don't have that big picture. You know, it's, it's like, you know, being lost in the middle of the city and, you know, taking a wrong turn and thinking I'm completely lost. You're not completely lost. You're probably one wrong turn away from where you want to go. And if you start thinking you're lost, you start making bad decisions. You start panicking, you know, everything, you start catastrophizing, you start wanting to give up. And it's, it's really being able to throw in that perspective. And, you know, it's, it's kind of thing where I call it, it's, it's failure analysis and then forgiveness. And I think failure analysis is the job of the coach. Failure forgiveness is the job of the athlete. That's wonderful. That's a very good analogy, too. Because most, most athletes will take the failure analysis twice because they'll do it and you'll do it. And then they're like, Fuck. oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's it's funny because, you know, you, you probably read that athlete feedback or you hear that athlete feedback and they start giving you a list of all the things that went wrong leading up yeah. to this. And you're like, guys, stop. So, like, okay, you know, like, let's let's find one thing we can improve on next week, but there are too many intangibles here. Stop focusing on that. Just get to your next day in the program. We should ask this because I remember when we discussed this, you seem to like the idea of this question. Um We've had episodes where we've talked about technological stuff that's coming up in our industry. Technotronics. Yeah, we, whatever that is. Uh, (laughs) Technology is moving faster. We are understanding the science of human physiology, performance, nutrition better than ever. Uh, We're seeing major advances in behavior and psychology. What trends or advances do you see being important to professionals and to our end users 
going forward in the next few years? What's going to change your industry for the better? So, you know, what's interesting to me, well, first of all, talking about uh, the amount of data collection available to people has not taken off the way I would have thought it would just yet. I mean, you look at things like, you know, anything from Tendo units and, you know, bar speed velocity and motion capture and heart rate variability. HRV, like no one even knows. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You, you look at HRV, and there is so much research behind it and the purely academic level, and the way it's being applied is nowhere near where it could be. And you know, I, I think it's fascinating because you, you talk to some of the researchers in the field who are actually pioneering this stuff, and you know there's, they still have these big question marks, and they're doing all this in-depth analysis, and then they're talking about the you know kind of end users and how it's used in fitness right now, and they go, oh my god, this is like that's us five six years ago. Like guys, stop! <laughs> like you know, wait. Um, but I think there is such a such a massive massive opportunity here for you know a, a lot of this data to kind of I want to say answer a lot of the questions that I think coaches right now are trying to kind of stab around in the dark and trying to find. Um, you know, because we talk so much about recovery. We talk so much about, you know, general health and physical and mental readiness and things like that. And, you know, the, the idea of programs no longer just being a template, you know, well, we sell templates, so maybe I don't want to say that, but the whole idea of programs. There's variability just, with them, with the stuff. Yeah. And the sort of the, the, the advantage of, of, you know, the, the coaching systems that allow you kind of real-time adjustment and real-time variability in your program. And whether it's, you know, talking about going from percentages to RPE, but can you imagine going from percentages to RPE to then variability based on physiological metrics? But the thing is, like you say that, but it's really not that hard. You know what I mean? It's, like, because because yeah. heart rate variability is like fucking as objective as it can be with the stuff we mm-hmm. have. RPE is yep. not objective, but you attach that to that. Like it's, I don't think it would be that hard. It's just funny that no one really adopts it because, like you said, the science is backed by it. And even if you, that's just HRV only. That's not even bars yeah. being all the other shit. Do you think that there's resistance in our industry to adopt this level? Dean's nodding yes. Yeah. This level of yeah. technical uh, information guiding the process because perhaps trainers feel like it removes the human element of their involvement or do you think that it's more technically technically complex this makes me think of i was in calgary a month ago and uh there was a guy there doing a presentation on dna testing and it was some pretty advanced stuff and i think on the surface level some of the dna testing we've seen in nutrition is kind of fluffy and bullshit but his presentation was very technical technical and very deep so we're dealing with another bit of technology and testing that's pretty high level in theory so do you think the resistance in our industry is in well, the complexity the, of the, some of the stuff. complexity of it the intimidation factor to adopt it wholesale but also yeah. how people may feel that it invalidates them or diminishes their role do you think there's some of that well, you know, the the closest thing I can come to thinking about it is the introduction of power meters in cycling. And, you know, you look at old school cycling, it was very much like, okay, well, you know, we're going to go out for six hours a day, just take some arsenic and, you know, go up the mountain and come back down and, you know, smoke some cigarettes and, you know, maybe drink some absinthe so things stop hurting. And that was cycling back in like, oh, yeah, they, they would they would actually take small doses of arsenic. I, 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 anyway, cycling was a very much... Like, I mean, it was, it was really kind of a very much raw kind of sport. It was just put your head down, grit, 
And, you know, kind of over the years, the introduction of technologies and especially the idea of power meters and being able to handle, manage wattage and looking at wattage and relative right and left balance of, of wattage and output and doing entire race strategies based on managing an athlete's wattage and output. Okay, here's going to be your peak wattage for this training session and you're going to do eight rounds at this much wattage and, you know, during your race, we're going to analyze your wattage against your heart rate against, you know, all this kind of stuff. Training and racing with a power meter has kind of become a science in and of itself. And some cycling coaches are still very resistant to it because they're like, it, at, all I'm doing is sitting here plugging in, you know, wattage and power outputs and, you know, using all that. And it, it is, it's a whole other discipline and technology for these individuals to understand. And those who advocate it think, ah, this is, you know, part of my killer app here. And those who don't take the time to understand it may resist it because they don't want to feel like they're being left behind or like they don't offer something that the competition does. And it is. It's a learning curve. It's it's technology. There's a cost involved with it. Some people may say, well, you have to buy a power meter. These things are $800 to $1,000. Do I want my coaching to be contingent on an athlete having an expensive piece of equipment? Am I going to lose clients who don't want to use it? You know, there's, there's all these questions around adoption. And like you said, like learning a new technology, adapting a new technology. But once you start coaching around that technology, it fundamentally does impact how you look at athletes. And I think some people aren't willing or able to really make that jump. And Dean, like, what, I'm curious your thoughts on it because I well, think. Well, my my thing was that I think that you hit the nail on the head is that if you if you don't go through the process, you don't it doesn't change your philosophy because like once I'll just use HRV for example, like not that I was resistant, it's just like ah, and, and then I just fucking did it, and it makes sense logically if I look at it and it works, and then I'm like fuck, I, I don't use it with everyone because they're resistant, but like if I could, and everyone would buy into it for sure. But it's yeah. one of those things where it changes my philosophy because I did it and I felt it. And there's science to back it up. So it's tough because I understand why people don't use it. But I think what it does do is it, it puts a line in the sand where the cream will rise at the top in a situation where you, I don't know, it just divides us, I guess. And yeah. what it does is certain people aren't going to want to use it, but their, their avatar is not going to be those people that are going to use those technologies. So it almost yeah. gives people more opportunity to find what they want. Because if they if someone's like all into this stuff, they went and read all your stuff and all the science, like, I need someone to show me this stuff. There's not really anyone to do that. So I guess it gives people more options. And I guess my yeah. avatar, here's what I, I would say. I'm reframing it. My avatar changes as I learn more stuff. So the people that I can help and my skill set gets bigger as I adopt more things. And I'm glad I've done that. But I understand why people don't. But I would say just I'm a total type A I want to know all the things. I want to be the best. And if anybody yeah. is listening who doesn't actually know what HRV stands for, heart rate variability, <laughs> like let's let's talk to the level yeah. of everybody in here. And it's, I mean, to my understanding, it's measuring heart rate as an indicator of how you should train on that particular day. Well, it the quality not, of the, you know, like, let's just say you're, it gives you an objective stress. So if you're like stressed that day and it gives you, like, hey, you probably shouldn't train that hard today. <laughs> Generally, I found that it's pretty right. Well, yeah. generally, like it's, it's, I get the knock on it, but there's a few people in the industry doing more with it. I've, I met in person, saw him present, uh, Joel Jameson. He's based out mm -hmm. of Seattle and, and Joel is one of the guys who's really using that. Joel trains a lot of different people, but he trains one of the best guys in the UFC. Uh, I feel like Demetrius Johnson, does that sound right? But maybe I'm, I, I feel like I got it right. Uh, but anyway, so fighter. Yeah. He's one of the fighters. Fights people. Either way. Yeah, he's big on that stuff. I, I, yeah, I, I like it. I like all the new stuff if it works, and I'm willing to give everything a shot. Because at this point, I think that most science hasn't caught up with some of this shit. Yeah. And I'm willing to give it a shot. Like, maybe arsenic works. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, you know, it, it was funny. I said a while back that, like, you know, original science and medicine was less like, oh, here, read this study. It was more like, here, hold my beer and watch this. You know, people just used to try things and see what worked. And I think one of the one of the difficulties now as well is you have you have two groups that are very resistant to this stuff. I think one group is kind of the old guard who doesn't want to learn new tricks and who thinks, ah, you know, this yeah. stuff isn't necessary. And then the other is the group who almost knows too much yep. and is so scientifically skeptical of everything that they aren't even willing to try it. Like, for example, um, Halo Neuroscience. Yeah. Are you guys familiar with that one? Uh, explain briefly, I, I think. It's basically that headset yeah. that it uses basically a, a kind of a basic, well, a kind of resonance, um, electromagnetic, I think, to ostensibly prime the brain to learn new tasks. And this company sells what looks like a pretty goofy-looking set of Beats-type headphones that sits on your head and essentially people are saying, oh, you know, I, I, I wear this while squatting and my squat's gone up 10%. And the problem is you read this and you think, that's ah, got to be bunk. You know, what is this? This is nonsense. Like some headset you put on your brain that wires you to magically get stronger. But what's really interesting is if you actually look at the science behind it and the people who originated this technology who are with DARPA, I mean, this is like, you know, really, you know, cutting edge governments, you know, yeah. will <laughs> we do stuff that works. It's actually very, very real scientific research. Now, whether the final product is quite ready for sale, I don't know. Apparently, one of the issues with the scientific, with the, with the actual neurostim that they do is the electrodes are so painful, they leave burn marks. But <laughs> if we, you know, that might not sell very well. more, though, in, sign me up. Well, I mean, you're talking about, you're talking about people work? who, like, literally their, like, face will explode in blood from their nose as they're pulling a well, max deadlift. The, so the way I those guys it. probably don't give a shit. If anything, they'll probably get juiced up off of it. Right? I think, like I, I think what, there's two there's those two sides of the spectrum, and, and the, they both get blocked. And I think that you need to be somewhere in the middle. But where most people get, there's another problem with a lot of this new technology. Someone will learn it, and that's all they do. Where I call that parroting. Basically, you learn something new. It's like, that's the new thing. Boom, 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 boom. You're just copying. If you don't actually mix that into your own, I guess, philosophy in your own way and create something new, then it's not a tool. It's just that crutch. Yep. And that's where I see a lot of stuff. I'm willing to try it. I'm obviously not going to tell everyone they have to do HRV. But like, if people ask me, I'll, I'll tell them the truth. Like It fucking works. We, but I'm just not going to force it on people a more, unless they're ready. A more accessible analogy for our listeners to what he said about the training things, it's the way that fitness professionals will grab onto one uh, nutrition ideology. The people mm -hmm. who promote themselves as the keto guy or the, the fasting guy, the intermittent fasting guy. And they largely just put everybody onto those nutritional paradigms. Yeah, okay. it's it's you've learned something, you've made it your identity, and you're not using it selectively for the right people. And right. I think that, that makes a lot of sense too. Yeah, their philosophy, they don't it's not they haven't mastered it. They just know it and they're just literally copying, which is fine. That's part of the process. I just don't I just can't get on selling something to people based on just learning it. I kind of just do it in the background and figure my shit out, but. Well, you know, and, and I gotta say, I can actually appreciate the fact that some older coaches are resistant to this technology. Yeah. And it's not just, it's not just that they don't wanna learn it, but I think they've reached such a level of comfort and mastery that they don't feel comfortable using or talking about something that they are not 100% proficient with or in their own mind. And I think it's it, it creates an almost imposter syndrome that I think a lot of people who've been in this business for 30 years have never felt before. Well, and, and Brian actually brought this up with like all the old bodybuilding stuff and just, he's just like, some of the shit works and they're so good at it, they don't need to. And like, again, why change yeah. it? 
obviously they're just not going to appeal to the crowd that it, it just changes the demographic. And I, I think the best thing for this is it gives people more options and the cream's going to rise to the top regardless because it happens all the time. And like a lot of this stuff phases out and a lot of it comes back up. Like keto is a perfect example, but keto has its applications. So, I mean, like, yeah, I'm just not going to yeah. be the keto guy one day. You were the keto guy when we first started I talking. I did keto for four months. Yeah. I'm, I'm like the most objective. I'm the, I'm the best because I'll do something and then people will be like, oh, what is that? Like, I don't know. Deed is a human science experiment. <clears throat> and if anybody who's been with us through a lot of these episodes and follow along or Dean's social media, as he talks to each subsequent guest, Dean sort of immerses himself in what guests are into. And Absolutely. we've seen this ridiculous exploration of a lot of different ideas it, through his career because I've been doing this a lot longer and I'm sort of more a little set in my ways. You're I the old be, guy. I might be one of those old school you're the guys old school guy. who doesn't jump on the new technologies, but uh, <clears throat> Dean is actually literally jumping in the pool every time we have a new guest going, well, I got to get into this stuff and check this out. Well, this is how I look at it. And a lot of smart, there's a lot of smart people doing shit probably because it works. I'm going to listen to at least mm-hmm. what they have to say, but then there's a lot of smart people are stupid. So, I mean, I just put it through my own, <laughs> I put it through my own filter. And I just use Quote my brain. A lot of smart people are stupid. They are. They're, they're <laughs> the other ones that are blocked by stuff. They're like, well, no, I did this research study Words and like this fucking by. says it. And like, there's nothing else. And that's the best. I love smart people who get blocked because <laughs> it allows me to get better. Because they're roadblocked. They're roadblocked. <laughs> they learned it all. And there's yep. nothing else to learn. Sweet. Like, that's my favorite. I'm going to be better than you one day. Yeah. It's, it's complacency. Yep. It really is. So much. It could also be an admission that they went down the wrong path. They identif- They made themselves synonymous with an ideology, either nutritional or training. That and at some point it. or other, it comes out that it's either not factually based, scientifically based, or... It, again, it's limiting, but they double down on being in that... Uh, again... There are some people who kind of criticize anyone who complains about nutrition people who are wrong because then you draw attention to them. But Gary Tobes is a commonly cited example of a guy who believes that calories don't matter. He's a low-carb guy. Alan Aragon really kind of goes at him hard about that. But Gary is on record as saying that nothing will change his mind. No, no amount of evidence, no amount of research will ever get him to change his views and his philosophies on the insulin uh, carb-insulin hypothesis. And the guy has written a lot of books based on his ideas to actually admit that he's wrong. And it's mm-hmm. science is established. And you don't use this kind of language very often. Science is established that the guy is wrong. <laughs> it, it would invalidate his entire career and all his work. So I understand that. It still doesn't make it any good. It's but... like, it's like the current training <clears throat> doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but it <laughs> no one's doing the science experiment on that. Actually, I guess uh, your whole your whole thing's a science experiment. Alex at this is point. a science experiment. Actually, yes. that I, yeah. Sorry, you go. No, I was going to say there is actually a lot of science on it too. But you see, but but that's the thing. Like even my approach to it has changed dramatically. That's what I was going to ask. Like you, you, yeah. you've you've kind of and I've kind of followed you. you you've changed things because it, when it, yeah. when it works, it works, and get rid of the stuff that doesn't. Yeah. But you have to yeah. get to that point. Like you're, people are doing stuff that is unchartered, so you have to go through that process and just change it. Well, you know, I, I found that what kind of what kind of happened with concurrent training is, have you ever gone through a training cycle of your own where you start layering on new disciplines or you start layering on new things that you then become part of the program and you end up not knowing which ones to cut back because they're all working for you. It can be things in nutrition. It can be accessory lifts that you're doing. It can be schedules that you're keeping to and anything else. You don't want to, you don't want to kind of come away from any of those things because you don't know if that's going to set you back. Yeah. 
and they can they almost come to the point of absurdity if you do it for long enough and you know eating certain meals at certain times and you know doing this certain order and you know drinking this before you work out and all that use I think what happened with concurrent training as as we were developing it you know I started finding things that seemed to just produce incrementally better results and layering them on at very strict disciplines with how I layered volume and intensity and how I layered the micro meso and macro cycles and how I did deloads and you know all of this kind of stuff and you know here use this accessory don't use this one you know here are certain tendencies that are almost universal in runners with regards to posterior chain imbalances and pelvic tilt and blah, blah, blah. and I had to get to that point of absurdity where everything was so structured and absolute to realize which ones started not mattering you know I would pull this piece out and say well still works and pull this one out and still works and almost becomes like this Jenga game or something where you just keep removing pieces and see that the whole structure stays and you go well which ones actually mattered this whole time? But you throw shit at the wall and see it works. <clears throat> that's rather yeah. brilliant. Like that's like, yeah. And then you kind of realize like some of the stuff doesn't matter, but it's almost like during that process you go through that whole idea of like it's working. Uh, I don't like. Let's not change it. Like exactly. Who's to say like this isn't the right thing to do? If it's working, it's working. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, as I said that's all our tra my training programs used to be very, very rigid for people. And they almost all used to look the same because I was like, well, this is what works. Mm. And, you know, I, I did. I started experimenting and actually took on clients where I'm just like, look, I'm just going to experiment with your program. Let's see what happens. And they go, okay. And, you know, I did the same thing with myself. It's completely changed the way I've trained four or five times. And it's led to, but like I said, you had to be at that point of super discipline because now someone can say, well, you have to do it this way. And I can say, no, I did it that way. You know, I, I tried putting all these layers of complexity and rigor and rigidness into this program, and here are the parts that aren't needed. So concurrent training is not just this one methodology. It's more a method of approaching various components of physiology and psychology and nutrition and bringing them all together. Well, and that's kind of where I've dived down, even even going through that process with trying to do a marathon and powerlifting, blah, 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 blah. But, like, that whole idea of concurrent training isn't just running and powerlifting. Like, I've, I'm doing it right now with, like, the stupid pirouette shit, like the gymnastic stuff. But, like, you can't push the gas pedal on everything at once. Yeah. Same thing with work. So, like, concurrent training is literally, like, managing your work stress. Because if your work stress is up, your training exactly. value has to be down. It's, like... I guess I guess that is concurrent. Training. I thought we weren't going to be talking about concurrent. Training. Well, that, but this isn't training. This is concurrent everything. Like your uh, nutrition is concurrent with your work, which is concurrent exactly. with running, which is concurrent with the fact that your dog bit another dog, and now you're stressed. Fuck! You better take your training volume down today. Mm. That's and true. that's and that's exactly what it's looking at. It's looking at every possible stress there is and looking at how those affect the whole and where can you push it when this stress comes up. Where can you still push it? Where do you have to back off? And that's, that's what all this is about. Cardio myths. Let's go there. Stress, cardio effects on stress hormones. Well, ask the whole fucking question. Well, there's a, there's a lot. So <laughs> basically we're going to ask about, there's a bunch of shit going on and you know a lot about cardio things. So let's just talk a few myths. Let's just hit the big ones. Cardio makes you fat. Cardio kills your gains. Stress hormones and cardio and I don't know, pick one that is the dumbest one you've ever heard and rip it apart. Um, let's go with, oh man, this is such a long list. Uh, <laughs> we can talk about, okay, so my, my least favorite one, I mean, the, cardio kills you, cardio kills your gains is so cliched at this point. I, I think we can definitively say that's not the case. Um, let's talk about like cardio and how it actually ostensibly stops the process of muscle growth. Yeah. 
which is always one of the most interesting ones that I've seen is, um, you know, people talk about the whole interference effect and how cardio triggers these pathways, which definitively stop these pathways that are critical for muscle growth. And I think the silliest thing about that to me is the, everybody talks about muscle growth as a long-term process. They talk about you know pro proper muscle adaptation as being a 72-hour process or a 96-hour process, and they talk about the various factors of muscle growth and you know is hypertrophy is is MPS an actual good proxy for muscle growth, and is you know what degree of uh, you know positive when we look at muscle growth we don't even necessarily know what short-term factors we're tracking, like what what enzyme activity that you can test two hours after a weight training session is going to accurately predict how much muscle you're going to put on. Yeah. We've been using There's protein X. synthesis for years as a proxy, basically. Yeah. It's, it's so much more but complex than that. you can spike that. that with, like, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's so much more complex than that. And people have kind of honed in on this whole endurance training triggers the AMPK pathway, which definitively halts the mTOR you know, mammalian target rapamycin process and the, there's no more muscle growth and there's no more protein. And you're like, guys, this is, we're talking about a temporary interference that lasts for a couple of hours. Yeah. Is this definitively ample evidence that doing endurance related activity after strength training negates the entire 96 hour process of adaptation after the fact? Obviously it's not. Well, yeah, because it's working. It's working, and it, it has worked for years. Yeah. I mean, you look at any rugby player out there, any high school football player who goes in and lifts and then goes out and does practice, which usually involves hours of running around the field and doing laps. I mean, it, it works. Concurrent training is not, it's not me. It's nothing new. It just used to be called exercise. <laughs> and, uh, I, I mean, like that. Athletes and sports teams have done this for God knows how long. And to definitively say, you know, you can't you can't get big and strong if you're doing endurance work at the same time as you're doing strength training. Like I said, any any professional rugby player is going to look at you like you got three heads. Well, that's you know nobody told me this, and so I I, I think it's it's a case of where a, a a mechanism is being analyzed way too deeply to answer a question where you say, okay, if this is the answer we're getting, maybe we're asking the wrong question Absolutely. right now. Well, and, and like, I think, I think it will change at some point. I think that they're just roadblocked and we need to test this and this and this, but like, it's, it's complete understanding through evolution. You're going to, your body's going to adapt to what you tell it to do as long as you basically recover. Exactly. It may not be the, you might not be the strongest, but like they're just, they have to be testing the wrong shit because it, it it's, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it does. It's, it's like the, the, the energy systems. Like it was before, it's like, it's either glycotic, it's, um, Creatiphosphate, and then it's um, the fucking long one. Anyways, they're all working at the same fucking time, and they're still splitting them up in the books as this is yeah. fact. And it's like, and there's enough studies where it's. Anyways, science is behind a little bit. We'll go with that. So basically, you can get gains <laughs> and do cardio. Yeah, I mean, and that's you know, it's funny you say science is behind. Science is predicated on asking questions. Yeah. They're not asking. And if, if you if you ask a question or you test something and you get a result that you know is basically counter to what you observe in reality, ask a different question. Yeah. And keep asking questions until you start to get consistent answers that go consistent with observations. That's the whole point of like evidence-based medicine and evidence-based science is you say, okay, we know these outcomes, we know this method works. Until we have a definitive, scientific, validated rationale for getting from A to B, we're going to follow best practice. 
we'll back it with fundamentals, we'll back it with research and everything else, but we're going to layer all this onto what we have seen and observed as best practice. Somewhere along the line, I think a lot of the fitness world has kind of, they, they remove the whole best practice element from evidence-based and it's all become just research now, not understanding that scientists are asking very specific questions, but they need to keep asking more questions. Nothing is solved. Greg actually did that just recently, Greg Knuckles, on his Facebook. He put something about like low back training between non-trained powerlifters and powerlifters, who's weaker or not, and is it a limiting factor? And he was, long story short, someone's like, blah, 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 blah. Why didn't you test a powerlifter, an extension of a powerlifter in flexion? That would be a better test. He's like... I'm just asking questions and putting it out there. I'm not going in with a bias of this is going to do this. Yeah. He's like, I just had a question. And he like literally just said that. And the guy was like, no. It's like, <laughs> you know what? The whole point of it isn't to like confirm your bias. Like, yeah. That's not the scientific mindset. But it's almost becoming that a lot of the time. Or at least the PubMed people are just using it to confirm their bias. If anything, they're finding the study. Good research takes your bias and tries to disprove it. That is actually the scientific And that's, that's, that's the that's, science. Yeah. And I guess there's a difference between scientists and people who are trying to confirm their bias that aren't scientists who just are Facebook scientists. Because hmm. they're not actually scientists. They're not researching shit. They just PubMed it. There's well, a lot of Facebook scientists. Oh, yeah. Well, I think the, the other problem is, like you said, there's, there's certainly bias confirmation. And also, I think the, the media cycle on this thing, on these things are greater than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, a scientist used to publish some obscure thing on exercise physiology in some journal and nobody would hear about it until, you know, a grad student four years later is trying to find references for something they're doing and they pull it out and, you know, that's how it propagates. Now it's like a, a study comes out and the, the rush is immediately to, to frame this. What does it mean for you? You know, yeah, red meat causes cancer. Red meat doesn't cause cancer. You know, and it's just there's there's this urge to jump on it and draw these conclusions from single studies or even meta-analyses. And, you know, it, my background was in pharma before this. And we would do massive, massive clinical trials. And you would take a, a drug with a promising mechanism and run it through preclinical data. You, you, you'd analyze the mechanism. you test it on rats. you test it on healthy normals. you test it on, you know, you establish dose. You establish duration. Then finally, you run a trial with 3,000 people. And sometimes still after the phase three trial, things are found to be completely ineffective. Healthy normals. Yeah. That was a really good point. I just got stuck. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is a healthy normal. Well, that's phase one trials are great because you, that's the ones where, you know, you're in college and, yeah. and, and people say, hey, anyone want to get a, a catheter stuck up their femoral artery? For gift card. And, uh, you know, we'll pay you $1,000 a day and you go, oh my God, this is going to be hellacious. But yeah, it's those kind of trials. <laughs> like, you're fine. Let's give you a study drug. Um, but it just, just goes to show that no matter how much rigor there is to these things and no matter how much data and, you know, promising information, we can still be wrong about things at the macro level. So I think we just need a lot more humility when it comes right now to saying things work or they don't. I guess what's your stance on, I guess you seem pretty forward thinking, I guess what's your stance on some of this shit? Like, is it is it stopping things from progressing in terms of like a lot of, I guess people now that are smart and kind of are in the fitness industry, now they're just kind of trying to confirm their bias in like PhD level and in the research. Like a lot of the new students coming out who are like reading all your stuff and then they're like, fuck, I need to be stuck on this research. And then they're the ones who are like on Facebook saying, no, 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 no. Did anyone else follow that question? I talk really fast. You can't do two times speed on this podcast. (laughs) I don't know what the question was. (laughs) I should Sorry, go ahead. I don't know what the question was. I said I sure as hell don't, but Alex seems to have got something out of it, so let's go. Well, okay, so 
is this uh, kind of what, what I'm where I'm thinking about it is more like does this um does this push for the research and you know almost a sort of game breaking power that I think people who read research and understand it seem to have yeah. and what you know kind of silos and boxes it puts people in right now you know I think a lot of the people who are you know enrolled in grad programs um, I see a lot of good stuff still coming out from them um, and I, I I do see a lot of open mindedness but they still have the issue of being very siloed. And I think as much as I love the fact that there are PhDs out there in biomechanics and PhDs out there in psychology and PhDs out there in nutrition sciences all coming into this field, their bias is such that they think their area is paramount. Yeah. And trainers need to know everything there is to know about biomechanics and trainers need to know everything there is to know about nutrition. And you think that's going to be impossible unless the average personal trainer has three PhDs. This is, you know, and yeah. Sorry. So I, I think there's really, I think that it's really important that we still maintain a good level of people who don't have that level of education, yeah. but are just good distillers of information. They can kind of question everything. The one thing I did see was, was it Ben House who was like, all all these studies are like done retardedly. Sorry, I shouldn't have said. Anyways, he's like, I'll run these studies in Costa Rica. Anyone up for it? I think you need some PhDs that are like not in the education system that will just like run some of these crazy studies because that have money. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and well, the that, thing is, there's there's still a lot of random questions out there that I think we need to be asking, but it's so hard to run some of them in the U.S. and you end up with these studies with eight people. We need like a millionaire, like a like a like a hedge fund guy to be trained by you, and you should get the funding from him to run some studies. Yes, yeah, you have a million, or something you like a million dollars, you could run some some good stuff. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I will <laughs> take this back around because that one was wildly all over the place which is really fun I'm just thinking about the possibilities yeah. man but the original question being basically you know based in like kind of cardio myths I think the big takeaway from all this is that uh, no cardio is not going to cause any automatic issues for anyone it is going to be valuable for you the I think the key limiter is and it goes back to some stuff we said earlier is knowing how much you can place physiological stress on your body, combine it with em emotional life stress, recover from it with your nutrition and your sleep, your recovery. If you can nearly maximize your ability to recover from this stuff, you should be able to do a great deal with your cardio. Cardio is yeah. not going to limit your gains. It is not going to make you fat. Uh, and again, this is all how it plays into affecting stress hormones. If you vastly overdo your amount of cardio mm -hmm. and, or any other amount of stress in your life, then bad things are going to happen. But it's yeah. not an automatic thing that all of a sudden your cortisol is going to blast through the roof and you're going to have chronic so, issues because you went for a jog twice a week. That's the best review yeah. you could have done. That's, yeah. the, that's the answer for all of them. I, I think the, the issue with cardio especially is it's very easy to overdo when you're in a bad state because the incremental cost of doing another minute of cardio is usually not that tough. It's really hard to get back under a bar and lift heavy weight when you're feeling like garbage. With cardio, it's really easy to just add on another 10 minutes, another 20 minutes, or throw in a morning session here and there. So people really do go down that whole, you know, catabolic path if they're not careful. Well, and you but, get yeah. The, yeah, you get the hormone release from it. So yeah. they feel good, even though it's probably yeah. not temporary. Yeah. And, you know, there are some, I mean, you got to admit, there, there's, of course, going to be some deleterious effects of doing low, a, a good amount of endurance exercise that does not involve lifting weights. At the end of the day, there is a cost to muscle building from doing cardio. There has to be. There is. But there are also benefits from it that may be advantageous to muscle building. 
you talk about increases in work capacity, increases in ability to tolerate discomfort. Um, so even if the absolute value, your, your maximum absolute value of, of muscle growth may be limited, chances are most of us aren't operating at the level where they're maximizing the return on your training sessions anyway. So I may lose something off the top end, but I am my, through the use of cardio, improving my ability to maximize what I have left. And I, you know, I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was actually going to just draw it back to again, what you do with the combination of endurance and with lifting is you're a big guy. You said you're what, 230s, high 230s? Yeah, high 230s. Yeah. So you're big, big dude. And yet you're going out running ultra marathons. A number one is you can do both of those things. Uh, but to, you are probably not going to be in the Olympics. No, he's going to get murked on either individual <laughs> discipline or you yeah. know, record holder uh, as a power lifter or a record holder in these things. So it does come, there is a trade off for the enjoyment of both. You are probably not going to be able to pursue both. You do both at a very, very high level, but Absolutely. you will probably not be able to approach world class best in either, right? Just yep. tearing you yep. apart. <laughs> No, no, it's, yeah. it's, it's, no, no. There's it's an understanding of the trade-offs where absolutely. you want to, you're, you're chasing two cats. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be challenging you know, to catch If you want to be the best them. at powerlifting, you should have started when you're 15 and have good genetics. Yeah, and, it's, like. it's, it's also the thing like, you know, you there's there's certain functional tightness and physiological adaptations that come along with being very good at powerlifting that are detrimental to running. And Everything. body type, body size, mechanics, um, you know, building movement proficiency. You know, I, if you're learning too many different movements, you're diluting your ability to you know, maintain and maximize your motor learning in certain pathways. And all those things kind of come together and they absolutely do. They absolutely affect it. And they reduce that top end. So you'll never be a hundred percent or, you know, top one percentile in any one of those things, but you could be top 90th percentile or sorry, top 10th percentile in a whole bunch of things. You know, cause you, you do, you get that kind of yeah. diminishing returns as you, as you start to specialize more and more. And eventually you have, you have to specialize to be truly world-class. It's just, it's, it's it's inevitable. No, it totally makes sense. I mean, people who are you know competing in the Olympics, it, very often they don't even have full time jobs because they their full time yeah. job is their training. If it gets to that level, yeah. we should probably make sure we ask you this one because I like this one a lot. Um, a lot of fitness professionals have dedicated followings of other fit pros. Okay, that that's out there. You certainly would be someone who fits in that category. However, it's some yeah, well, fit professional. However, it sometimes feels like everyone is writing their social media content aimed at the approval of other trainers and coaches as opposed to making sure it's written for the actual consumer. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts? I think it's very tempting to do that because other professionals are much more likely to comment. They're much more likely to share. Um, they're much more likely to see something you write and say, ah, my people would be interested in seeing this too. And you know they're much more receptive to your to your message. And what you start to get is again confirmation bias. You know you you write something that agrees with a lot of your peers say because you will get agreement of all your peers. And you feel as though oh you know I'm accessing their network. I'm I'm getting this shared by people I respect. And you know you kind of get that endorphin release of people that you know you really respect or that you think really know their stuff liking your comment. And they may love your comment simply because of something they said a year ago and they just happen to agree with it. And you know, I my my thing with that is reaching your target audience is never a very easy thing to do. You know, a random you know I don't want to say preachy, but I'll go there. A random preachy lecture post on Facebook that is intended to reach your target audience, chances are those people are not going to read it. 
they're going to get a couple sentences in and be like, I don't even know what this guy's talking about. You know, does this speak to me? I don't know. And it, it you know, reaching reaching the layperson or the, the the people that you actually want to talk to, they, they need to have a reason to be following you in the first place. So, what's that reason? Is it because you write lots of good evidence based contact for you know content aimed at other fitness professionals, or is it because you're relatable? Is it because you're fun? Is it you look at the Instagram accounts of the really really popular people out there, and a lot of them will layer on image and entertainment and excitement and things that draw people in because. I think a lot of people want to see a lifestyle. They want to see what can fitness bring me. Not just what do I need to know about fitness, but why would I want to be into fitness in the first place? And I think taking that approach is a much more kind of a slow burn sort of thing, which people think is almost selling out. You know, people don't want to just post endless selfies and this and that and the other and then occasionally throw some good content in there unless you're Spencer Nadolsky, in which case you just... It was funny because I was thinking of Spencer as you're talking about fun... Yeah. Uh, fun social media on his Instagram and him with that bottle of, what is it, uh, apple cider and he's just well, like, at this point eh, he just makes fun of, he just makes fun on his, of, on his abs and, he just makes fun yeah. of people commenting and yeah. V pics, V neck and drinking. Yeah, I think Spencer is one of the, one of the best in the industry actually having a lot of fun with what he does and he's very accessible. Uh, we've, he's actually appeared on two of our podcasts. He was in the group one with, uh, oh, yeah, Dr. Mike Gizretel and Brian Cron and that was just a shit show and then he did his own episode which was great. Well, and the thing is, like, a, a lot of us will read Spencer's stuff, myself included, and go, oh, my God, that's so stupid. And he knows it. Yeah, he's fucked. <laughs> because us as professionals, we're like, oh, my God, what is this junk? But we're professionals. We're not his audience. Yep. Everybody else reading that who's not a professional thinks, okay, that's funny. Okay, yeah, it's, he's a, and he's brilliant because obviously Spencer's a smart guy. Yeah. You know, he's, he's not, he doesn't think and write professional documents in emojis. Unless he does these days, I don't know. Spencer, yes. I love you, man. No, I don't think he writes smart plausible. stuff. But then he comes like, and obviously he's smart. But he, like, he was on that one, the round table with Mike and uh, Brian. He was just like, yeah. he was like, literally layer on science. I'm like, Jesus, you're yeah. actually like, you're so smart. I expect you to be so smart, but it's just like, yeah, he's just, his his, his posts are like so fucked. They're it's, funny. It's actually really fucking stupid to listen to some of the people, especially some of the guests we've had, and just the lay the level of technical knowledge. Alex, I mean, when you speak, it shines through. Very evidently, anytime, because you're very active on commenting on threads with other fitness professionals. You just read, you're ready. I'm like, oh God, like this stuff, some of this stuff is going over my head and just the, the level of knowledge you possess. Again, we mentioned Dr. Mike Gizertel is another person. Just, I don't even believe that a human brain can store that amount of information and turn around and deliver it like a stand-up comic could. So mm-hmm. it's it's pretty fun when you get into the depth of uh, James Krieger and Brad Dieter are two more guys. That, uh, yeah. Those guys are just fucking oozing with intelligent knowledge. Is- I was going to go, like, is even on that end, so, like, those all those guys, and we'll use Spencer, because Spencer kind of blew up because of his own right, but, like, the Insta- is there a method to Instagram, or is it just, like, literally, like, I don't know. Like, you know, I just can't do stuff that's not me. Like, I tried it with the infographics and stuff, because I tried to, I was like, this is what they said to try, and I just did it, and I hated it every second. <laughs> oh, God. Of it. And it I hate them. Some people love them. Oh, it, it, I can't it, do it. I, I just couldn't do it, and then I was just yeah. like, 
maybe it's a, is it a detriment to just be yourself and just do what you think is right? Because maybe I'll make less money, I guess, but I just can't do it the other way. Personally. Look at someone like I'll use Dean Somerset as a good example. He never got in on the uh, on the infographic trend, and I think he puts out a lot of very technical stuff that sometimes may not necessarily always be accessible to the the real average end user, but he is slowly and steadily over years of paying his dues, built up a very big following and he's highly respected in our industry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he has been himself put out good information and he has done really, really well. I don't, you know, he doesn't have Carter Goods, 400,000 Instagram followers doing infographics, but you know, Carter's chosen a different path too. Yeah, and you know, I, I think the you get into a couple different things, but you know, back to the question of you know whether or not it's it's going to work against you to just be yourself. I I think a lot of people don't embrace that enough because yeah. they don't they don't want to piss people off. They don't want to turn people off. You know, it's you know, some people get too honest and you know they suddenly get unfollows and things like that. And I think, but it's that kind of authenticity. I think that you you start to cultivate your own audience and your own niche comes to you. And I I think one of the things I learned early on in this business is. You can't tell the market who you are. The market tells you who you are. I like that. And you just, you listen to what people say, you act as authentic as absolutely possible, and you see who's attracted to your message. And then you just do more of that. Yeah. And, the, you know, I think the, the, the times I've, I've wavered from that, and I think the times a lot of other people waver from that, it is, it's inauthentic, and they can't sustain it. And there's almost this dissonance where people then start to expect one thing from them, but the moment they vary outside of that box and try to be who they really are or talk about what they really enjoy, they suddenly, they've lost their audience. Well, and exactly. And I, I think I noticed that exact thing because I was, not that I was feel, fielding a bunch of, it was just, it wasn't working the way I wanted to. I was super stressed out about it. And then I just did it my own way. I felt better. I actually probably had more leads from it, but I, I got less followers. And it yeah. was just one of those things where like, I think that it's not, life's not worth living if you hate Instagram and you're making all this money from it. Like, I would just, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I don't think the money was worth it. Like you said, the audience will almost dictate what you do if you're yourself. And if you're someone yeah. else, I, I just don't think it's sustainable. I absolutely believe that. Because yeah. why is there a lot of people, yeah, I'm not going to get to mental illness, but. We, we were running a little long, but this is great. And I, we were sort of, I was thinking about maybe just dropping a question from the end of this stuff because you touched on your outdoors adventures early but you know what i think the the actual question itself is really important so if you want to hit him with it what let's let's just talk so yeah. this goes like actually right into your instagram and i guess what you've put out because i'm not going to say you don't do a lot of written content for trainers and clients but i think more lately what you focused on is kind of your journey and like being outdoors shooting mm -hmm. guns very large guns <laughs> <laughs> but i would say like being authentic at least in terms of like what you're putting out so i guess what's your thoughts on people needing to spend more time outside and just kind of this whole lifestyle of just the outdoors and how can it benefit people and just i guess being authentic to like what you enjoy man you know i i think a lot of that does come back to kind of my own realization that you know the the whole the whole fitness and health thing and everything else it's meant to be enjoyed yeah um, you know, it's it's kind of funny that jokingly, you know, I used to complain about having to help people move, um, especially more so that I have a truck. But then I'm like, well, what's what's the point if I don't? Yeah. And what's the point of being in in good running and hiking shape if you don't do something with it? You know, I understand the excitement of races and I understand the excitement of competition and everything else. But my my whole point is that you know this is to keep this as a lifelong ambition. The healthiest way to go about it is when you are in single-minded pursuit of a goal, eventually, for most of us, that goal starts to wane. Yeah. And I think 
having an understanding of what of what you've built, even if you don't hit that goal, even if you never reach the level you want to reach, of being able to step back just a little bit and say, well, okay, I devoted all this time to it, but it wasn't a waste. You know, I spent all this time training to be a better runner, and was it all a waste? Because, you know, I have no desire to go to try to win Western States, because I never will, because I'm about 100 pounds too heavy, and suck compared to these guys. But is that all a waste, or can I still do things with it? Can I still enjoy things with it? Can I still go out and, you know, do things that maybe would have seemed crazy to me at one point, but they're now just adventures? And it's, to me, the, the whole thing is... Let me go. Let me go. Actually, enjoy what I've built here. Let me go. Actually, enjoy what I've created and use it to do things like, you know, my my satisfaction is always going out on one of these hikes or one of these runs and looking down and seeing that there are no more boot prints in front of me. Well, and this might be pretty personal because like it's happened to me. Like I think I realized that same perspective like five months ago. We'll say what, what was there a defining moment where you kind of started to realize this because you were pretty goal orientated up until. I don't know, three, ah, I can't remember when you kind of switched over. Like, was there a defining moment where you're like, fuck this, like, I know what I need to do? You know, I had that bike crash right before that Ironman in 2013, started having those crazy hip issues, Yeah. started getting in more into ultra running, screwed up my ankle, hated it. It was actually that moment that I bailed on that course. Yeah that I realized I wasn't having fun with any of it. Yeah. You know, here I was taking a whole bunch of painkillers just to get through any sort of lifting session. I was forcing myself to go out there on days I didn't want to run. And I kind of gave up on everything. Yeah. And I, I didn't I didn't have that realization that there was something more to do with it because it's just every time I would go out to run, it would just it was like bad memories of the sessions I didn't want to do. Every time I would go to the gym and lift, it was just this flashbacks to days spent in there grinding away, you know, dealing with the hip pain, dealing with the SI pain that I'd have for three days every time I did deadlifts. You know, it's just, you start to get this mental resistance to it. And for a while there, I really felt like I'd kind of wasted it all because I was like, well, what am I now? You know, I'm not, I'm not going to compete in any of this stuff anymore. What am I doing? And um, that was that was mentally tough. That was, that was a real kind of low point for me psychologically. And like, was it just, I guess, kind of that whole process, which you talked about is kind of just kind of building back up and realizing, hey, I can do shit now. And then you just yeah. kind of started doing more good stuff, I would call yeah. it. And that's exactly it. Like, I didn't go out for runs I didn't want to do. I went to go find somewhere fun. You know, I was living in North Carolina at the time. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go take a look at Pilot Mountain. It's only an hour and a half away and it's awesome looking. I'm going to go run up that thing. And I did. And I was like, this is, this is amazing. <laughs> and, you know, finding things like, and it hurt. Yeah. You know, that, that last run up the top hill there in 97 degree weather hurt as badly as any track workout I've ever done, but I welcomed it because I wanted to get to the top because I liked where I was because I liked what I saw. And man, that was such a difference. I was like, I'm suffering, but I'm actually enjoying the process. I can do this. I can push myself in something again. Man, our friend Michael Dietrich, who actually did one of our very first podcasts with Mountain us. Mike. Yeah, Mountain Mike. He's a local trainer who just just went out one day and then just fell in love with hiking and outdoors and mountain stuff. And like, I just think this past week he took a whole bunch of people out for a hike he, with he him. He blew up in Alberta for like being big like Instagram the, the big him. mountain guy. Like anyways, long story short, it's like he like literally, I think he just went camping one day. He's like, fuck it. I need to change my life. When he did like this crazy overnight backcountry camping, never done it before, almost died freezing. And it was like, I'm fucking hooked. <laughs> but it's like that experience for him was like life changing just cause mm -hmm. like, I think that, I don't know if he talked about it, but he was just like, that changed everything. Cause I, I had a 
I knew what I needed to do. He, he brings yeah. his dog. People recognize his dog more than they recognize this guy. This guy looks like a, a fucking Dragon Ball Z character. He's jacked and ripped and like <laughs> spiky blonde hair and just like everybody loves this dude. He's just such a nice person. It's kind of funny. Like I, I could see you guys getting along really well because you some coming from somewhere to the same place, I guess. Yeah. Some of this stuff. Oh, nuts. <laughs> you should, you know, it's, it's funny because you know you, you talk about a lot of these things as being crazy things but when you break them down it's like once you once you really start loving something it doesn't seem crazy no and it's 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 almost normal and like that's i guess yeah. that's the dangerous part of it because if you miss well you, you can kind of probably relate but once you put that driver into almost the wrong method then you end up in that place where you hurt your ankle like, fucking hate it and that was kind of me with powerlifting right at the end it was just like yeah. Why am I doing this? Like I hate yeah. everything, and it was it, it, yeah. but like that process helped me. But like it, it was, I was in a dark place after that, and it was just like, and it, it's tough because I, I think you start to build kind of friends and social networks around it as well. And when you tell them the drive isn't there, you know, with some exceptions, for a lot of times people people who are there, they either don't understand that mindset or they fear it so much in themselves they don't want to even entertain it. Yeah, I okay. definitely saw that too. I left. Immediately, and then after, like, let's say six months, people were messaging me from that community, like, man, I can, like, really appreciate someone, because everyone's going through it in some form or fashion, and that's kind of when I started, like, accepting that network back in, because, like, I think that that process and your process is probably a lot of people, and I call it, like, their switches turn off, but, like, once that light turns back on, that's when the magic happens, and it's it's just better to find it earlier than later, like, I was 30, you're 30... I'm not gonna see your age. It just, it just, it's interesting. I wish I would have found that, turned that switch on earlier. Personally, I'm yeah. not gonna regret it because I have that skill set because of it. But yeah. it is life's a lot better. Yeah, yeah. And it's like spinning along and you know running face first into a wall. It's like, well, I know now I know where the wall is. Yeah, and oh, like it didn't go. feel good, but I could do it if I wanted to. Yep, I have that books. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously you spend all this time outdoors and you're busy with your work. Do you, you know, you as, assuming that you actually have the time to sit down and, and read actual books, because it sounds like you're pretty up on the research stuff, is there anything really noteworthy that you would share with, uh, you know, our listeners, your fans, everybody? Book-wise? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, you know what? I might, I might have to give you something to put in the notes, because I don't... I haven't read a full book, I think, in ages. I mean, I, I do... I go back, you know what I spend a lot of time doing is just going back and looking at old textbooks. I know that sounds horrendously boring. You no, know, there's like five of our guests that are just like, I like research and textbooks. Like, shut up. But, but it, it's, it's kind of like, but for me, it's more like, you know, I, I get so caught up in like the, the experiential side and what I'm learning in new research and everything else. Sometimes I like just going back and looking at an old biology textbook and being like, oh, I forgot about that. That's something really basic. I totally forgot about that in the first place. So... Honestly, do a lot of that. That's a good. That's honest. I think that's actually a good message because that's exactly sure. your story to coming around. Like you went, we'll call it, went back to the basics. But I like yeah. that stuff. That was cool. Yeah, and you just did more of that. It's like, oh man, I forgot the substrates in the Krebs cycle because no one talks about it anymore. But I'm like, oh, actually, that puts a lot of the keto discussions in context. Oh wait, suddenly this makes sense. Other things, um, there's a book. I, I know this. I recommended this a while ago, but I like the book um, Chi Running. I think. It's not a, you know, I don't like any sort of forced, you know, form running anything. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of the pose method or anything else. But what I really like about it is it's just, it's a different way of looking at, you know, running and, and almost looking at movement as kind of a more, you know, talking about breathing, talking about posture and everything else. 
it's it's very very different from I think a lot of the more technical things I've read on running. Um, and it actually helped me a lot because uh, I used to be a horrible runner and I hated it and everything hurt. And I think reading that it was a little more of a you know granola type approach, but I really enjoy that book. Chi so okay. chi running, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, but now I just um, want to talk about breathing, but we're not going to. We are already long overdue. Okay, so. where do people right. find and consume you? Make you can make your plug on uh, your book and your templates and stuff, but like, where, what's the best place to consume all stuff? You just go to completehumanperformance.com. Um, on there, there's links to the website with the book. Uh, you know, there's links to the templates and everything else. I don't need to throw all those out. Um, what I like about that site is it's got everything. It's got all the articles from the very first ones I wrote years ago on the concurrent stuff to a lot more recent stuff. And the project I'm working on putting up right now, too, is like a list of my old Facebook posts from like two or three years ago um, that used to have a lot of stuff in them. And I'm, I'm going to get those up on the website as well so you don't even have to look through my social media for random stuff. That's pretty cool. Just find a lot of beer. What about uh, Instagram, Facebook, that sort of stuff? Because then people can see more of your outdoors. And as we mentioned, you know, if you're interested in more on the concurrent train and the endurance stuff, hybrided with the strength, you've spoken in depth about this on any number of podcasts, so people can find those as well. Yeah, there's a lot. Where do we find you there? Instagram, Facebook. Instagram is just alex.viata. Um, same thing on Facebook. Um, there's a, actually a good listing of the podcast I've been on on the website as well, um, which which is probably the easiest place to find it all because I, you know, some of them have been years ago, and half of them ask the same questions over and over again. So you listen to one, you probably listen to most of them. That, that's our thing. I like refuse to ask this. Yes. <laughs> yes. I didn't want to talk about and running. We did, but yeah, and that's exactly what we go for. And we've had a lot yeah. of good feedback from a lot of people who, again, they've gotten the same questions routinely because of their area of expertise. We really tried not to hammer that shit too much and actually take people in somewhere fun and different and let them just talk openly. Yeah. So it's been really great having you on here, Alex. Really Guys, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you both very much. Okay. I'm gonna you. I'm gonna hang on for a sec, but yeah, read us five stars and a review. I don't know. We just always ask that. No one does it, so we only have like fifty. So yeah. I want one more. Anyways. And if you are one of Alex's people who is finding us for the first time listening to it, uh, you know we're creeping up on fifty episodes. We've had we've mentioned through this episode a number of very well known industry people. Uh, yeah. Alex's friend Josh Citron, Josh Citron. I mispronounced it when we had the episode. Vegan. But uh, Josh is big into hybrid training too, and, and he's a really great guy. So you could check out his episode, scroll back a bit, or any of these other people. And if you really like it, you know, we're going to continue to bring great people on. The plan is Pete Dupuy of uh, Cressy Sports Performance next week. He's going to be joining us. We've got Dean Somerset coming oh, back in the very near future. And uh, John Goodman of the Personal Trainer Development Center is scheduled. He's booked, and uh, we should have him on here, and you'll probably have that sometime in late August. Yeah. Cool. So, awesome. See you guys. Awesome. All right, guys, real pleasure. Shut up and sit down.